And so I asked my boss, can I have like a nine month leave of absence? And he's just like, no, we can't do that. So uh, I was like, all right, I guess I got to go. The goal is to still make great radio. Put in the time, do the work. I associated laughing with radio, and that's kind of why I always wanted to be a part of it. In this business, we forget just how great it is. This is the Off Mic Podcast, a radio show about radio life. This week on the show, it's Rogers National Format Director, Adam Thompson. When was the first thought of, that eh, radio's something I could do for a living? tough question to answer more general perspectives when I was growing up like I loved music was a huge music fan and listening to the radio I always had a lot of questions about why bands were played why some bands weren't played why they did certain things and just liking some of the people on the radio like being entertained by personalities and loving music it kind of made sense and when I was in the struggle after high school to try to figure out what am I going to do because uh, I was working for the government, which was terrible. Um, <laughs> it just kind of crystallized. And I was like, I remember listening to a station in Ottawa on my way to work. And the morning show made me laugh. It was over like the launch of Survivor or something. And I was like, that's what I'm going to do. I want to be a part of a job that involves music and entertaining and some kind of magic. And it kind of just started from there. So where did you end up going to radio school? Canador College in North Bay, Ontario. I grew up in Ottawa and I wanted to experience like life in small town Canada. I thought that would be like a romantic thing to do. So I was like, all right, I'm going to go to North Bay. I've never been there. It's a small town. It's a cool town. And then proceeded to work in small town Canada for the next eight years. So I didn't really need to do the college experience in a small town. But yeah, I started, went to school in North Bay. You know, we get a lot of people on here, WABC, a lot of Humber, some Ryerson, a lot of Nate. I've never heard of that school. How did you find it? <laughs> uh, the campus looked dope. Oh, okay. Like, it was like, yeah, it was like right on a lake, and it looked really nice. I applied to some of the more well-known radio schools at the time. I remember Fanshawe was like number one on everyone's list. I didn't get in, so it made the decision to go to Canada a lot easier. But yeah, it just looked like a cool place in the woods, and I, it, it appealed to me for some reason. The more you talk about it, the more it feels like this is a fake school. <laughs> well, the things that they taught you were definitely on the uh, on the fake side. I didn't really learn a lot a, a much in school, which is probably the same as most people. But yeah, it's pretty much a fake school. But we talk about it all the time on this show. It doesn't really matter where you go to school as long as that school gets your foot in the door somewhere. I assume they did that. Yeah, totally. I mean... School is great for introducing you to like-minded people, hopefully stoking the passion you have for whatever you want to do post-school, hopefully getting a couple of connections and starting your path after that. That should be the goal anyway. So where was the first place that you hung your headphones? Sudbury, Ontario. I went, uh, I had my internship in like an Easy Rock or something and couldn't get a job after the internship because the PD there thought I wasn't a good fit for radio. So I went across the hall and uh, the PD for Q92 his name was Terry Callahan. I asked if I could like do anything for the station. And so I was a uh, board op and started part-time there and started just pumping out tapes, pumping out tapes as you well do. Took a couple of months and then my first job on the air was um, not far from where you worked way back when. Uh, I was in Terrace, BC doing mornings. What did they have you doing for your internship in Sudbury? Oh God, the internship. I remember at the time there was some CRTC thing where they had to write down the it maybe it was like the irsc code but you had to write down the code from all the jewel cases all the cd jewel cases and so they basically walked me into the music room which was basically just walls upon walls of cds and jewel cases and they said all right start from there input the irsc code for lack of a better term because i'm sure that's what it was but it was some kind of code from these things into rcs selector 
So basically, grab a CD, put the code in, put it back. And I had to do that for like, I don't know, 15,000 CDs. That was my entire internship. It sucked. There's so many people in radio today that don't understand the legwork that was put down a generation right. before them. Because there's, I mean, most studios you go in now don't even have that small wall of discs anymore because they've all been input digitally. They've all had their information scanned or, or entered into selector or music master or what have you. That used to be a big thing for, for people getting into radio was, okay, here's a big job that nobody wants to do that hasn't been done in years. You do this and maybe we'll let you do an overnight shift once a week. Yeah, that's exactly it. Like everything that nobody wanted to do, that's the intern's job. You've got four weeks here. Have at her. But that was like the entire internship was just doing that. So you were inputting data like a receptionist, essentially. How did your how did your PD feel like you weren't a fit for radio? I, th I think it was my look was very alternative at the time. Like I had a bunch of piercings. I had, I don't know, dyed hair like this, like the typical like late 90s, early 2000s alternative kit. This was an easy rock station. They're talking about, I don't know, Celine Dion. And I think he was just equating what I look like and what my interests were with adult contemporary radio. And he was just probably making a line. This probably isn't going to work for you, which is a fair assessment. I wouldn't have been the best fit for AC, but I assume that's where he was going with it because I did a damn good job inputting all those codes <laughs> in that music room and I got it done before my internship was done. So he couldn't have slighted my epic or effort during the internship, that's for sure. Your answer to this question will sum up everything I need to know about this station. <laughs> Did they play John Tesh? Of course. Yeah, okay. No, <laughs> it all makes sense now. You would have been terrible there. Totally makes sense. You go across the hall. They're letting you do some board up. Did you actually get to do any on air or was it just you're sitting here, you're, you're still not really part of the mix? Oh, yeah, absolutely nothing on the air. No way. I remember like the most entrustment I was given with the radio station was to fire like the Canada Day production at 10 p.m. on Canada Day. There was like some <laughs> festival that was happening in Sudbury. And that was the only thing I had to actually manually do. Everything else was just me hopping the station or just sitting there making sure everything fired correctly. I remember that was the one thing that had any sense of trust or felt like it was important. Other than that, it was basically just like sit there, babysit. But with access to the building, I'm assuming that's how you were sending out tapes, maybe just doing some fake breaks here and there? Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, working on that stuff all the time. Just trying to connect with all the PDs I could across the country. Yeah, really working hard to try to figure out like, how do I make this work? I remember I was working at a call center at the time called the Omega Call Center in Sudbury. My job was to talk to Americans with the lowest credit scores, like under 500, and Perfect. try to sell them debt consolidation. So it was just a job that ate at your soul. Like it was a really difficult thing to do every day was to talk to people that were already having a rough time in life and trying to sell them a dream to get them out of debt, but actually would screw them over longer term in, in time. But it was just a rough time to be doing that kind of job anyway was really just trying to get something going in radio so i was really working hard at making that happen and it took about three months and i'd actually quit that omega job because i just couldn't do it it was just too difficult it felt too bad and i had nothing and i was like oh, i'll figure something out and then the day after i quit i got a job from the pd in terrace bc who said like hey we got something for you if you don't travel the country it's easy to forget that we are this bizarrely widespread barren landmass of a country. Right. Sudbury to Terrace. Right. Yeah. That's a hike. Uh, yeah, but it was like, it was so cool. Like that was, that was the adventure. Like I, I look back on that time so fondly. I, I just packed up two hockey bags with everything I had 
and loaded it up on a plane. I had no like I accepted the job before I knew where it was on a map. And when I'm explaining to my parents I'm going to BC, and then that's when I'm actually looking it up on a map to show them. That's where I'm like, oh my god, this is right by Alaska. Um, <laughs> your your finger again, starts down like, around Vancouver. You're like, yeah, I'm going to. And it just keeps going up and up. <laughs> oh god. <gosh. Yeah. laughs> but I couldn't have been more like excited by the prospect of just like taking a job without really knowing anybody and going where nobody's gone before. I just assumed nobody had ever been there before. And just like, I don't know, making a run of it. Uh, I just felt like there was no part of that whole decision that felt anything other than like, this is going to be fucking awesome. <laughs> it wasn't, but <laughs> the, decision was, the decision was like, yeah, this is going to be awesome. Which station was it in Terrace? Called The Mix in Terrace. Uh, yes, I yes. Think I think they're now called Easy Rock. I don't know. <laughs> they probably played John Tesh. Yeah, they probably do. But yeah, it was basically just a hot AC station. So, and you got on the air. What was the day part? Uh, so it wasn't a day part. It was part-time swing for nine ninety two an hour, maximum hours of 20 per week because it was a union shop up there. Yep. Um, so they had to be very, very protective over what you could do and what you couldn't do. I used to be in that, uh, that union. It's a terrible union. So that was the job I, I, I went up there for. Yeah, I still have the offer letter, like nine ninety two an hour, maximum of 20, no more per week. This is what you're doing, which was basically like after the drive show and then weekends, kind of like just a swing position. With those markets being what they are, people don't tend to stick around too long. I moved up to mornings in, I think it was six months, like went to drive and then mornings because just people just leave. On that swing position, you know, you had your, your internship and then board hopping across the hall and you're, you're watching a lot of other people crack the mic and, and, and do the work. First time you go on the air in Terrace, what was the feeling? Excitement, fear apprehension nerves like the whole mix of that awesome adrenaline flush you get before you're going to do something and you're going to dive right in it wasn't it, it, there was no predominating feeling of like terrified or anything like that it was just like ah oh, here we go just like finally ready to go and how bad was that first show oh first show how bad was the first year like awesome. <laughs> <laughs> like just just fucking brutal <laughs> But man, those, uh, first of all, beautiful part of the country. I love Northwest BC and uh, difficult in the isolation because the people that you're gravitating towards, like other people on the air, the creatives, the fun people, they just leave. So spent three years there. That was just tough. Just continually trying to, to meet people or trying to find a circle of people to have fun with when people just are like, spend eight months are like, I can't do this anymore, dude. I'm, I'm gone. And that's just it. You said it yourself is those kind of markets. Either the talent is good enough to get out or the isolation beats them down and they quit. And, and we've probably yeah. lost a lot of talented people out in some of those remote communities. And, and what, uh, Terrace, you're, I want to say, two to three hours away from Prince Rupert, which is the closest sign of major civilization. It's tough out there. Yeah, like Prince George is six hours away. If I wanted to go to Wendy, which was like a treat, I'd have to go to Prince George and that's six hours away. That's okay. When I was working in Smithers, uh, this was about the time the first Red Dead Redemption video game came out. My wife and I, we were sitting at home and we watched a bunch of the trailers and man, did it look good. We wanted to play it. We made some calls. It was a Sunday, which meant in Smithers, nothing was open. We literally couldn't go purchase it. <laughs> And so because we had nothing planned that day and we really wanted to buy this video game, we drove to Terrace. That was our civilization. 
to go oh, to a wow. Walmart to buy Red Dead Redemption, drove around for a bit, then went home and played Xbox. Oh, that's right. Walmart opened after I moved. That was a huge <laughs> deal. <laughs> It was a big deal for the entire Northwest. Like, that's a hub, right? 100%. Getting on uh, mornings must have been a shake-up for the first time. Was it a solo morning show, or were you with someone? Oh, they didn't have the budget for a team show. <laughs> um, yeah, no, it was a solo morning show. I think I got it. Uh, what would it have been? I would have to say mid-August 2001. Two to three weeks after was September the 11th. And, like, that was that was a time where I was like, what the fuck am I supposed to say? Like, I'm a 20-year-old. I have no idea how to handle this. Like, yeah, you know, just like, yeah, throw on broadcast news, have at her. It was a, kind of a trial by fire to start when you're doing a morning show and something massive in the world happens like that. And like you said, you, you nobody across the table, nobody to bounce off of, nobody to have a conversation with. So now if you don't talk about it, that's super weird because everyone's yeah. talking about it. But yeah. how? There's no radio school, Canador or Nate or anywhere that teaches you how to be a broadcaster in a time of crisis. That's for sure. No, and there's uh, this year's been a pretty good year for lessons or, or thought around that, right? Like, so much, I empathize with all broadcasters that, you know, have to find the words or make sense of a world that sometimes feels like it's spinning. It's, it's not easy. And the only thing that makes it easier is life experience or depth of perspective. And that just takes years to accrue. Talk about the turnover so, in places like Terrace. Eventually, it got to you, too. Where did you get off to and what brought on the move? What brought on the move was just me relentlessly trying to get the hell out of Terrace. Like, uh, I think it was every month I probably went through one of those CDR spindles of CDs with the labels and try to send out like 20 to 30 every single month. You'd spend like 50 bucks a month just in demo packs with like your jewel cases and your padded envelopes and your CDRs. So after three years of doing that, I finally got a leg up and got mornings in Fort McMurray which to me was huge. I was like, oh my God, this town has 70,000 people? Uh, all, it's, only, it's only three hours from Edmonton? Uh, this is going to be awesome. Yeah, so I was right ready to go. But yeah, it took about three years. And that's about 2003. That's boom time in Fort McMurray. Oh my God, yeah, it was crazy. Uh, it was a, a real weird mix of people. I mean, you could be 25 years old and make $80,000 a year pushing a broom at Syncrude or Suncor. So you've got a lot of people rolling around town with a lot of money just spending it on whatever. So at the time, and it may still be like this, I haven't been there in a while, but a time of excess and a lot of people having a really good time. So how many roommates did you have to have to be able to find a place to live? I started, uh, I had four roommates. Um, <laughs> and one of them was the program director, which is always an interesting situation. <laughs> But actually, to be honest, like before I started, or when I got to Fort McMurray, it was before the real boom started. So I actually was able to find an apartment after I got settled with the PD that was only a temporary thing and was able to find an apartment to rent for not a ton of money. It was like right after that, around 2004, 2005, that it really started going bananas. So I kind of lucked out and got there at the perfect time. But yeah, anybody that's going there afterwards was, man, it was rough trying to find a place. And was this a morning show in Fort Mac as well? Yeah, basically the rock station there I was doing the morning show for, which was a ton of fun. Who are you uh, on there with? Because I, I believe that was a two-person, right? Yeah, his name was Jeff. He was just a sports guy. Like, he didn't really contribute a bunch to the show. He did news and sports, but was very, very much an introvert. So uh, I wanted to bounce some stuff off of him, but he was his own animal. So it was more or less a solo show at the time. Fair enough. And, and how did you find your confidence at that point? Because now you've been doing it for a while. Like you said, now you're in a bigger market. You've got to be feeling good about yourself. Your career is on the right trajectory. How, how are you feeling on the air at this point? It's starting to come together. Like by that point, you've had enough misses and enough wins on some certain things that you're doing that you kind of know where your creative sweet spot is or where you can lean into. 
or what else you can do. And I had a lot of success or at least a lot of perceived success, like <laughs> leaning into people around the building. At that point in time, you know, markets like Fort McMurray were teaming with great jocks all through all day parts. So I was able to use them in the shows and bring them into what we were doing and just kind of create things from kind of a team environment based on like who was doing afternoons, help me with the morning show or help me with this bit. Same thing with uh, evenings or middays or whatever. So it was kind of like collaborating with as many people as I could to make the show feel bigger. And that seemed to work. Oh, working with a station to bring everybody together as a team. That's what we call foreshadowing. (laughs) Fuck off. (laughs) Uh, But yeah, McMurray was a blast. You're doing well. You're having fun. You're, you're going in the right direction. Why'd you leave? Yep. At that point I was really eager to start, you know, then the goal was major market. Like it really was. I love being on the air. I love doing a morning show. I loved everything about what I was doing and it felt great. And especially after like, uh, when you're in isolation, like a town like Terrace, it can feel a little bit dark in retrospect. So now this job felt like it had a lot of light. It had a lot of positivity and I felt like I had a lot of momentum. So I was really looking for a major market and started to get a bit of heat. I was in talks with Power 97 to do something with them, but the company that owned the rock station, they were about to start Sonic in Edmonton. So as I was going through the initial phase of like, oh, maybe I'm going to get a gig at Power 97. And I was super open with my PD. So it wasn't like a weird thing. The company basically said, hey, we're going to start Sonic in like three months. Why don't you just stay with the company and go down to Edmonton? So it was just done. Flashback to the overly pierced, dyed haired Adam Thompson sitting in that boardroom, putting numbers into a computer, getting to launch a alt rock station in a major market pretty much had to feel like someone had wrote a script just for you. Well, I was, I mean, I was the evening show guy, so I just felt super fortunate to be part of such a dream launch team, like to have Garner from the start as the morning show guy. Al's just a brilliant programmer and conceptualizing a great station to launch through Edmonton. So there was some heavyweights on that launch team. I was just like really thankful to be a part of it. But I mean, I'm not helping plan anything. I'm just a guy doing evening. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. When you get told you're going to make the move from Fort McMurray to Edmonton, obviously that's got to sound really good. When they tell you that the station is going to broadcast out of a trailer, that changed your mind at all? No, that's dope. Like that was like <laughs> the greatest thing ever. Like that's the, that's why I love radio. Like those kind of left to center ideas that get the city talking are just brilliant and that would do nothing other than just like get me more excited to to join the fight i remember going to the trailer for the first time and going like this is unbelievable people would throw food over the fence like because it was right along the highway and uh we really leaned into hey we're just a low budget operation we're broadcasting from a trailer just outside NISQ. and yeah people would like throw food and bring us donuts all the time because they thought we were well homeless (laughs) it was great it was amazing That's one of the benefits. I mean, now Sonic is owned by Rogers, and Rogers one of the biggest companies in the country. You can't play that card. Like, when you have to play a top-hour legal ID that says who your ownership is, you can't really lean into that. We're just just small people like you. But with OK, which was the, the company that launched it, that was really just such a smart idea because Edmondson already had K Rock that had been around forever, K97. And the bear, who was just crushing it at the time in more of the, the mainstream rock vein, you had to do something to stand out in a market that was already led by a couple juggernauts. 
Yeah, absolutely. Like, I mean, great radio, great radio stations are all about creating talkable moments, getting the communities or the cities talking about what you're doing, just being great. And I think like everything from Sonic from the outset was designed with that in mind. And everyone wants to root for the underdog. So when you're launching as the underdog and leaning into it, and it's 100% authentic, great things will happen. And it took off, you know, I think quicker than most were anticipating. It was so much fun. So you're doing evenings at Sonic at this point, you know, you've sent demos to almost every PD in the country at some point or another. You had the team in Fort McMurray that you said was just a full of a lot of great creative minds. Now you're in this building, which had a, a killer lineup right out of the gate. Did you tend to reach out to lean on people both in and out of the station for things like air checks, brainstorming, bid ideas, anything like that? Yeah, absolutely. I'd always have a few PDs that I would reach out to all the time, like people that I love the stations they were a part of. Um, or thought they were doing really just fun, creative things and just ask for feedback all the time. I'd also do it with morning show hosts. So I would continually do that just to try to broaden perspective because you'll get great air checks from your PD. And I'm a huge believer in this. This is going to sound like a line, but it's not. Broaden your circle of influence. Ask more people for what they think. And then the beautiful thing is you then get to decide what you want to implement. Like you got to listen to your PD, but then beyond that, you may get some great insight or perspective from another morning show host that you respect or another programmer whose station you like. And then it's up to you to kind of go like, I really like that. I'm going to start implementing that alongside with whatever else I'm supposed to be focusing on right now. I do remember sending a demo to Ross McLeod when he was running CJ. I think I was at Lloyd Minster at the time. And he didn't like the way that I was coming out of music into my breaks. And I explained to him, I was like, he like he ripped me apart. He's like, why are you doing that? That sounds awful. And I explained to him, I was like, well, that's pretty much verbatim how our PD wants us to do it. He's like, well, when you're recording for a demo, don't do it. Eat the shit from your boss and then send it out because it sounds garbage. <laughs> <laughs> but, wait, <laughs> but with all due respect to Ross, who's great. Like, that's just his perspective. Like, every PD's got a different opinion, right? Like, what he thinks could sound bad, somebody else thinks sounds awesome positive right there how long did it take for you to move up because you weren't evenings at sonic forever kind of a weird story i was doing evenings for about a year i fell in love and decided to leave radio went traveling and uh spent a year like touring across southern america and southeast asia so i left in like i want to say 2007 that couldn't have been an easy decision though yeah it was super tough like i loved radio but i also recognized that I went from high school to working for the government to going right to school, and my life had been like a series of adventures, and I loved it. But evenings after you do a morning show felt, at least to me, like I was being asked to do less creatively, and that's not true, because you can do a lot in an evening show is a lot like a morning show, but there's just a lot less activity around what you're doing, and so... I don't want to say I was bored, but I definitely was open to a new adventure. So when I met somebody and they were super keen on like, let's travel the world, I was like, that sounds awesome. And so I asked my boss, can I have like a nine month leave of absence? And he's just like, no, we can't do that. <laughs> so uh, I was like, all right, I guess I got to go. So I went and yeah, just went traveling for a while. I worked for Alberta Forestries. I did like a fire tower up um, near high level, which was like just an insane experience. And like all told, that just deepens again, your life perspective and what you can chat about or how you can relate to different people. So in retrospect, a great decision. But yeah, I was on evenings for about a year and a bit and then decided to leave. And when I was off the radio train about six months after i'm like i kind of go, gotta go back i don't know what else i could be doing radio is way too much fun and so i called al and said like hey I, i'd love to use you for a reference i'm gonna get back into radio and at that point jason manning who is the apdmd was off to medicine had to start a station down there and so al just said why don't you just come back and be apdmd and I, so that was kind of how i transitioned from on air to off air 
So when I came back, it was into programming. You hear about people like, oh, man, you know, I, I started in overnights or evenings and I, I worked my way up. I got middays, I got drive, and eventually I, I got into either mornings or programming. You don't hear a lot of people that are like, so I was doing evenings, I quit. And then I just called them back and they were like, why don't you just come be the APD? <laughs> <laughs> it was probably like a small a APD title at the beginning. Like it was basically just music director, I'm sure. But yeah, like it, I was, I was fortunate to, you know, I was a great boss and uh, I left on good terms. And I think that can serve you well when you don't leave with fucking torching the entire place behind you. <laughs> it can work out well as long as you're a good dude. And hopefully I was a good dude. Hey, it's Grant with Pippin Technical Service. Well, school's back, and as usual, that signaled some new logos, shows, and formats in a few markets. Best of luck to all. We're also hearing of more operations heading back into the building. Need a couple extra mics, mic socks, or other gear to accommodate new in-studio protocols? Drop us a line. We're always happy to discuss workflow integrations at home, in-studio, or on the road. Actually, broadcasting from home is the exact topic of the next virtual showcase from our partners at Telos Alliance. Sign up for the webinar today at telosalliance.com or click the link at pippintech.com. The Telos Alliance team will be outlining a number of work-from-home case studies that made work-from-home work. They'll be talking successes, challenges, and how best to be ready for future disruptions to the normal way of doing things. Uh, That webinar runs September 23rd. Sign up today. If you miss it, they'll email out an on-demand replay. Oh, and September 30th, the ears behind Omnia Audio Processing will be discussing how to take podcast audio to the next level. Want to stay up to date on webinars, new product drops, and the latest in radio tech? Follow us on Facebook, LinkedIn, or Twitter at Pippin Technical. We build broadcast with every position i was doing whether it was for mcmurray or with terrace i was doing music i was scheduling for the station at the same time too like i was the guy that did everything so i already knew how to schedule i already knew the ins and outs of rcs the most difficult thing was just as soon as i got that gig rogers had kind of finalized the transitional takeover from ok radio and rogers was using music master so the hardest part about the gig was like learning music master from scratch because i was an rcs guy i was always a guy that was really interested in what the stations were doing from a programming perspective, why they were deciding certain things. So like I was already asking all those questions or trying to be a part of of as many meetings as possible. So I was already interested there. So it felt like a good fit. I still miss being on the air every day. Like it's such a creative outlet, but it didn't feel like a weird fit. It just felt like something cool to spend time on. The cool thing about Sonic and, and other stations of that format is their ability to break bands. Are there any bands that you can point at to say like that band got on the radio and started to get a lot of airplay because of Adam Thompson? Yeah, there's a few situations like that. I have a pretty long list. I don't really want to get into it. It's uh, it's boring, but uh, there's a few bands that I love being a part of the success story. USS is one that comes to mind. They had like some regional success in Toronto. Helping champion them beyond the local success story that they were was, was something super cool. Christian Hansen was an Edmonton guy that had a bunch of success too. Nobody knows his name now, I'm sure, but he was great. And like, even I remember distinctly like uh, Edward Sharp and the Magnetic Zeros. Everyone knows the song Home. It was a big alternative hit, crossed over all that kind of stuff. But we would have been uh, the first one to play it or something. But like being at the Starlight Room and seeing them play that song and then like feeling the room shake or like the floor shake when they play that song and knowing that that was us because that's really before streaming had really taken over. Like this is 2006, 2007, knowing that, hey, everybody here knows this song. 
because of Sonic. Like, that's a feeling that can't really be felt these days just because of the climate of how people discover music, but was certainly something that was super cool when you were a part of those success stories. So you've got the MD thing down, but you are also the APD. How is the transition to start getting more and more involved with that? Like you said uh, with one of the other jobs, I, I, I wasn't in the planning or anything like that. Now... You are, you know, you're, you're coming up to starting to make decisions or at least help to influence decisions. How did that feel? It felt awesome. And like most of my time at Sonic was really learning, like learning from, you know, guys like Alan Garn, what they were doing, why they were doing. I was just asking a lot of questions and soaking up like how they were approaching things. And it felt awesome. Like having a show when you're on the air and creating your show is amazing. And it's, it's, uh, it satisfies you creatively and it's hard to top that. If you're programming a station, you kind of get to do that with, with the whole thing. Like you can hopefully influence shows to reach bigger than they imagine or come up with promotions that get the city talking or reinforce what the station's all about. Even imaging is kind of like another layer of creative flavor you can add to the station. So like when you started thinking about, oh my God, this is how actually how you can think about this role as a programmer, that's when I really started getting fired up on it. Before we move on from talking about Sonic, I just want to get your thoughts on how shitty it's going to be at some point in the future for someone to have to be the second ever morning host at Sonic 1029. <laughs> uh, yeah, it'll be tough. That station's been on the air for 15 years and has had one morning show. Nobody yeah. in this country should take that job when Garner steps down. <laughs> and I'm sure Garner will be there for a bit longer. He's uh, he is the king. Nobody wants that fucking game. No way. <laughs> I, was, I was thinking about that the other day. I was like, man. I, I will never apply for that fucking job. I like I'm oh, I'm in Rogers yeah. now. Edmonton's a dream market. Sonic is a dream station. If you called me tomorrow and were like, "So we're thinking about bringing you and Brock in because Garner is retiring," I would probably say no. Honestly, you got to put the lamb in there first. Like let somebody else get torched, and then we'll come and play cleanup. Hundred percent. Let's just send some yeah. drifter in there. <laughs> 100%. Just Connected drop the, the expectations as low as they possibly can, and then you call us and we'll come clean up. <laughs> Deal. <laughs> when there's nowhere to go but up, it's a good place to be. <laughs> exactly. APDMD at Sonic in a major market is a great gig, but the same kid that was dreaming about major markets when he had a great gig in Fort McMurray, I have to imagine was dreaming bigger at the time. What led to you leaving Sonic? There was a time when you can do the role like APD or MD. And if, you're, if your goal is to become a programmer, there will come a time where you're like, I got to go. It's, it's time for me to go. And I reached that point and everyone was like totally on board. I talked to Rogers about it. I'm like, hey, I got I to gotta just get a station. This is, uh, it's time. You know, soon after that, I saw the posting for Indy 88 on, it would have been Milkman, I'm sure. Just that they were going to launch another alternative. And, you know, long been a fan of the edge. I was like, oh my God, that would be amazing. So I put everything I had into the application and got the job to uh, launch Indy. So that was not a tough decision. Difficult to leave. Rogers has been great to me. Sonic was awesome. But like that was, I was like, all right, this is easy. And it does sound weird to think like someone's first PD job is in one of the biggest markets in the country being Toronto. But what I've always loved about Indy 88, even in their old job postings, when they were first opening up, was they basically consider themselves a media market station in Toronto. <laughs> right. Again, like I think it's uh, maybe part of the underdog thing that helped Sonic in the beginning as well is like recognizing that hey, it was a smaller broadcaster with Central Ontario, so didn't have the resources that the Bells or Rogers or Choruses do. But also, it's kind of fun. Like the Edge is about a 
big an alternative station as you can get in Canada and has history like no other. So there's really no other way to play that other than to come and go and like, hey, we're the, we're the other guys over here. But it was also coming at a time where the edge for lack of a better description, was almost going through an identity crisis. The Edge, they felt like they had to move on from what they were. They saw some openings in the market for what they could be, but they hadn't quite pulled the trigger yet. And there was a lot of unrest in that market with their demographics of, this is not the Edge that we want. This is not what we came here for. So you guys were able to kind of stab into the market and, and collect up these people of like, we'll give you a new home, just come over here. That was always the approach, just recognizing that that was going on. And I mean, Dean, one of the best broadcasters of the country, the show was huge. But yeah, definitely, there were two different types of listeners to The Edge, I would say. This is my opinion. We were definitely going to be the bigger, brighter alternative, the one that love all, accept it all, and everyone had a home, which was also like the identity of Sonic. It was always the alternative that wasn't the dark alternative, which alternative kind of was in the mid-millennium. It was always bright. It was always a little bit poppy, and it was always very... I don't want to say female friendly because that sounds lame. It was just like, it just was. It's just, we don't talk to guys. We don't talk to women. We just, we just talk. And that was also the approach for Indy, for sure. When you got there, were you able to have a hand in choosing the talent that was going to be coming on? Yeah, I got to hire them all. What were you looking for to start a brand new alternative in Toronto? People that were themselves, people that understood what we were going for, people that wanted to be great. It's going to sound lame talking about, but I just, you know, I, I love being part of things that feel bigger than they are. And, you know, I'm sure it still is. Indy felt like, oh, this is special. We're going to take on like this big station. We're in Toronto. We're going to be the bigger, better. And we wanted creative individuals, talent that weren't afraid to go for it, that weren't afraid to, to make some noise and that wanted to be great. There wasn't like, hey, we're, we're looking for this guy that, that loves sports and this girl that loves guitars. It was just like, let's just hire really great compelling people that are themselves and that live authentic Toronto lives and let them be themselves. When you're Indy 88 up against the edge, up against all the huge ACs and the hot ACs, CHRs, everything that's eating in, you got to punch up. You got to be the Rocky Balboa in that market. What kind of stuff did you guys do off the air in terms of promos, in terms of events, in terms of gimmicks and bits and stunts to get out there and make sure people knew that you were there to play. Some of the things that made some noise that I was proud of and our challenge was we had no money. And I knew that from the outset, like Central Ontario was like, this is your budget and it wasn't anything. So have some fun. So one of the earlier things that got a bunch of media attention was the Rickroll to start, which was basically like during our testing phase, we basically just Rickrolled the city for seven days. So we got a bunch of earned media from that. That was fun. When a billboard had a lot of press, we were mentioned on Allen, which was kind of cool, um, but also had a lot of local press. And that was when a billboard in Toronto, really good signage near Young and Dundas, took submissions from, hey, what, would you, what do you want to tell the city of Toronto? And we worked with like an out-of-home company that just gave us the space because they thought it was just a cool idea and they liked the station. So that was really neat because it didn't cost us anything and it couldn't but that was just an idea of one of the types of contests we had to do there because it didn't cost us anything and we were all about how do we make noise and we gave away the first bitcoin on the radio when alan cross left to go back to the edge we turned that into a stunt and offered the chance for a listener to be the voice so it was like be the voice of indy 88 that was a huge contest because uh, alan was our voice before that so yeah, those were kind of some of the standouts in the first couple of years that, that did what they were supposed to do in terms of like got people talking and I think reinforced what the station was about, like left to center, irreverent, 
and fun. Every step of the way so far, you've talked about things being a learning experience and being able to lean on other people in the building. Now you are, you're the corner office, you're the big wig, and you're not working for a big national corporation. So it's not like you've got internal email to be talking to some of these people. Who were your mentors uh, during your first program director run? This is a tough one. That's a good question. I still kept in contact with the people I had worked with and bounced some things off. But you're you're kind of working for not direct competitors, but you're more on your own. You're with a, an independent broadcaster. So I don't think I had any, which probably isn't the right answer. But yeah, I can't think of any mentors that really helped. It was more like, all right, I'll do it. I'll figure it out. I made some mistakes for sure. I mean, to be honest, that's more impressive that you were able to, to push through. But it does mean you have to own the mistakes. What are some of the ones you look back at and cringe a little bit? You can say not hiring honestly, me. It's fine. <laughs> um, honestly, none. There isn't any. Yeah, for the time I was there, nothing that I regret. Everything felt good. Like, nothing in retrospect felt like it was a miss to me anyway. I'm sure it was to other people, but not me. <laughs> I was just shy of two years before you went back to a familiar territory of rejoining Rogers. What happened there? Uh, moved to have a family. My wife didn't want to have a kid in Toronto without her support system. So we had literally made the decision the week prior that we would not have kids and she would join me in Toronto because Indy was going great. Julie called me and said, hey, Al's going to Vancouver. Do you want to come back to Sonic? And I was like, oh, my God. Indy's a dream. So much fun. The team was amazing. The entire talent lineup was outstanding. But that was a decision where, again, I didn't spend any time thinking about it because I was really excited to have a kid. Like, that was just perfect timing. And so I called my wife and said, like, hey, dude, I can go back to Edmonton. Like, I think this will work. We had a family. <laughs> that, was, that was literally it. Do you have any plans to quit Rogers again and come back as a COO or something like that? Like, I'm noticing there's uh, a trend here. I love new challenges. I love different things. It's definitely a problem <laughs> but yeah like i usually have a two to three year cap and then i move to something else well we'll we'll get there because yeah it's about two <laughs> years later this whole i don't want to have kids in toronto thing but we'll we'll get there you're back sure you're back in the building you're back at sonic again and now you've gone from being the evening guy to sitting in the corner office did it feel weird coming back into that building with your boss pants on? No, honestly, not to me and hopefully not to anybody else. Like I always look at if you're a programming or however you're looking at roles, like I don't look at like a boss employee relationship. It's just like we're part of a team and sure somebody's got to make the call and we've got to push forward. So somebody has to say, yes, let's do this. No, let's not do that. But I just love building with people. So it wasn't weird to me and it, it felt like a natural fit to come back to everyone I had really grown up with through the life of Sonic because people don't leave there. So it just felt awesome. Like it was just, it felt like a natural feedback. To go back to Garner, again, you used to be the evening guy. What was it like the first time you had to sit down for an air check? Great. Like Garner's, Garner's great. You know, air checks with Garn aren't traditional air checks. You just kind of talk about concepts or discuss ideas and what's coming up or how we want to do things. But I'm not rolling tape and going like, hey, how about this? How about that? Um, <laughs> It's a little bit more high level. So yeah, definitely like we had a good relationship before I left. I was his producer for a while. So we already had a lot of chats about creative on the show. So it, it didn't feel awkward. It felt really comfortable and Garn's great. I'm not going to lie. That first air check, if I'm in your shoes, I 100% just pull up a break and just start playing it and go, so thoughts? <laughs> What'd you like about that? Just, just to get in his head, <laughs> you know, just to play that game. <laughs> Maybe that's why I'm not a PD in a major market. 
That might be it. <laughs> no, it would be good, though. It would be not a bad move. But you, again, did not stay at Sonic for an excessive period of time because you kept moving up in the company. It's... <laughs> that time I was at Sonic for three years, so that was a pretty good length of time for me. That's a good uh, one. Sonic was super fun. Love Sonic. But they asked me if I wanted to come to Kiss Toronto like uh, Rogers did. And... Again, it was like, this is cool. This is different. I don't even know how to say Ariana Grande. So let's do it. <laughs> I was going to ask, like a lot of people will say that Alt and Hot AC CHR have some crossover in terms of artists, in terms of sound. Did that make that transition a little easier for you? Because again, your whole career is basically alt and rock and now you're at one of the biggest pop stations in the country no it didn't make it easier and that's that's uh that's a role where definitely made some mistakes in the first little bit too like giving the audience a little bit too much credit like you can have a lot of subtlety with alternative like you can use creative that's not as direct and people kind of get it in chr it's just you know hit them over the head so sometimes being a little bit too clever with promotions or how we're positioning things would have been some things that I would have done that didn't quite work out uh, well at the beginning of KISS, that's for sure. Is there a difference in managing the talent between the two formats? Yes and no. Like, I would say every talent will teach you something else. Like, Roz and Mocha versus Garner Andrews, like, two heavyweight shows to all heavyweight talent. But they operate their shows completely different. They build their shows in different ways. So to connect with them or to, to chat with them in ways that, that work, you need different approaches. So that's kind of the best thing about working with different people on the air is everyone requires something a little bit different. And yeah, that would have been one of the bigger lessons for sure. You've worked at some jobs. Uh, Indie is the one that really mostly comes to mind, or maybe even early Sonic, where the budget's not there. Being the program mm -hmm. director of KISS 92.5 in Toronto feels like you probably could have thrown some money around. Did you get to chase after anything big there? Yeah, one of the highlights of my career was giving away a house. Like, that was super fun. Sorry, a house? Yeah, it was last year. Yeah, we gave away a house. It was the nine-month promo to build and to execute, and that was like a dream. We had the client kind of give us the house. It was awesome. started with a conversation from them asking if Roz could voice a commercial campaign for them, and we turned that interest and love of the Roz and Mocha show into like, hey, let's celebrate Roz and Mocha's 10th anniversary with you guys and give away a condo in your development. So from initial pitch to execution was nine, ten months, and that was unbelievable wait 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 okay okay guy calls the station to get a voiceover and yeah. you spin him into giving away a condo in toronto well you could be part of the rosa mocha's 10th anniversary like the biggest morning show in toronto celebrating their 10th milestone on kiss 925 how could you not want to be a part of it i mean i get that but that's what an eight hundred thousand dollar rate card sir yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean the promo value we gave was pretty substantial, but yeah, like it was uh wow. yeah, it was it was big. Please was tell fun. me the person who won the condo didn't answer the phone with sorry, what did I win? <laughs> we did a huge production in the building at three thirty three floor and it was it was Vanessa? awesome. Thank you. You're Vanessa. gonna turn around and you're gonna take okay. that key, put it in the log, wait for the countdown, okay? Yeah. The key is in. Three. Vanessa, you just won a stunning, amazing, beautiful, oh mortgage-free oh home. Oh my God! 
from the Roz and Mocha show and Sequoia Grove Homes. Oh my god, that is amazing! From KISS 92.5 to a uh, another substantial role in Rogers, what is your official title now? National Format Director, which sounds ridiculous, but uh, I, I, I work with all the rock stations across Canada for Rogers and try to create great radio. And you're based out of Ottawa now. Yeah, it's, I grew up here, so it was a, a real pro to kind of come back and work here, be based out of Ottawa, as my parents kind of like are older, spend some time with them as I've been away for radio for 21 years is a gift for sure. I know you like working with talent. I know you love working out radio ideas. It's It's got to be kid in a candy store to be not only involved with with Shay out there in Ottawa, sort of your, your home base, but to, to get your hands into every station across the country. Yeah, like, again, it's like uh, to build with the team is always how I look at these things and it sounds super lame but I promise it's it's 100% sincere so like we've got a fleet of fantastic programmers and and shows across the country so to pull everyone together and kind of dream up like hey what can we do how can we celebrate this that's coming up what can we do over the Labor Day long weekend how can we do this how can we do that Um, to do that with everybody is is a dream come true like that's that's the best part of the gig so like the more i can work with you guys on that the better the job is and that's that's the best part for sure it sounds lame but it's not where do you go from here i mean you're you're a national format director the only step up from here is like roger's head office it's this (laughs) or running the jays like there's not much left for you to ascend to is this the job that is going to slow you down or two three years from now is it time for another wild Adam Thompson move? <laughs> That's tough. Who knows? I mean, the the job I have the pleasure of doing right now is entirely what I'm focused on. With the Rogers Rock Stations, there's a lot more we can still build up. We're just kind of getting started. And then, like locally, Shea is a legacy frequency with almost a whole new team with a great new uh, Bigs and Bars show just coming over, or Amy Volume. So there's a lot to focus on here. And then, I mean, think about Winnipeg, where you just signed on. That's always been a war with what you guys are up against. The power, there's a ton to focus on. So, well, you never know what the future holds. It's like there's so much we've got to kind of focus on right now that uh, it's hard to think about anything else. I can remember in, it would have been 2005-ish, it would have been in your early evening run at Sonic, that market was so tight-knit. It didn't matter what company you were working for. It didn't matter what station or format you were working for. People from all different stations around the market would get together for something as simple as just going out for a pint. Mm -hmm. Do you feel like that, and COVID be damned, I'm obviously not talking about things right now because the world's fucked, but do you think that that's gone away in radio at all? Yeah, and it's kind of a shame. Like, I'd love to see that come back. So, like, if anybody's in any markets, even the thing in Edmonton, it was called a shit show, I think, is when it started. <laughs> I think it started from Mikhail, me, Ryder, and McCord all getting together going, like, let's do a thing where we just invite all the people on the air and just get hammered. So it was just, like, one from each building. Let's invite everybody we like from each station and start doing it. So, like, it, it started from just people on the air. So like, I would love to see markets do that again because there's fraternity in what we do. Everyone kind of has the same weird experience, whether it's working through the country or um, you know the weird mix of anxiety or neuroses that comes with being on the air. So gathering together and getting drunk and sharing like stories of things that you love or maybe didn't love is like, I don't know, I was some of my favorite memories of like 
my time in radio. You started off sending <laughs> actual CDs in CD mm-hmm. cases, in padded envelopes to program directors across the country. Now you're the guy opening the digital version of those packages. What would you say to the people who are right now queuing up MP3s, demos, what have you, to send to you in hopes of getting on with a Roger station? Just be great. Like, just want to be great. That's it. Like, for, you know, radio on the whole, it's tough to make noise. It's tough to cut through. There's noise everywhere. Our job is to continually be great, whether it's, you know, the music we're playing or the promotions we're building or the talent on the air. So, like, if you're on the air and you're green and you're just starting out, totally fine. Just want to be great. Want to multicast what you're doing. Want to shoot higher than what you think you can do. And I think if you if you have that desire within you and are willing to learn along the way, I think good things will happen. But yeah, my only advice is like, I love people that just shoot for it. With that in mind, one last question. Is it too soon in my time with Rogers to ask for a raise? <laughs> Maybe not the right year now. Ah, fair enough, fair enough. Adam Thompson, <laughs> thank you so much for your time, man. Uh, Drew, you're a pleasure. This has been uh, uncomfortable for me, but uh, hopefully worthwhile. I'm, I'm not going to lie. How uncomfortable you were was part of the appeal. Nice. Great. <laughs> <laughs> This has been the Off Mic Podcast, brought to you by Pippin Technical. Tune in next week for more great stories from more great broadcasters. Follow the show on social media. Search Off Mic Podcast on Facebook or on Twitter and tell us who you want to hear on the show. I'm Drew Dalby. Thanks for listening.